Okay, everybody, welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Krasnick. My co-host, Jennifer Kalari, is actually coming later. She's not here. She had a, a power outage, Spectrum. You know, Spectrum Cable, I don't know that they're ever going to be a sponsor, but when you're on the Spectrum, that's fine. But when you're on Spectrum, it's not fine. We're a show that unites uh, comedy and, and mental health. And we not only talk about mental health with comedians and actors and writers and producers and athletes and all these wonderful people, we not only talk about it, but we practice skills because mental health is a practice. It's a great topic, but until it's a practice, this world is insane. Um, so we need to do a little bit of practicing, a little bit of awareness goes a long way, choices, all these things that I never knew I had when I was a kid, still don't really employ them, but I know it's a good idea. Um, you can have a relationship with your thoughts and feelings. You can actually talk back. Who knew that? Who knew that you weren't your thoughts or feelings? Did you know that growing up? No, not really. Uh, did you know that you were a bad, you weren't a bad person for having feelings? Did you know that Feelings are meant to send messages. They're sending you messages, and you can actually acknowledge them and move on with your life. I, I didn't know any of these things, and I went to therapy. If psychotherapy could be converted to frequent flyer miles, I'd be eligible for a free trip to Pluto. Who are we kidding? Now, on our show today, we have a really talented comedian who um, has had just an incredible range of experiences. She's a former law professor who happens to be married to a rabbi. Okay, so right there, that's enough. And then she has a comedy album called A Very Particular Experience, so that would be enough. And then she's seen fire and she's seen rain over the last uh, number of years in her life. And we're going to talk to about all that, everything from grief to joy. We're going to talk to the lovely and talented Liz Glazer. Liz is coming up in just a few minutes. Now, our show today is sponsored by an old sponsor, and we love this sponsor, uh, by New Moodamint. Moodamint is the first antidepressant mouthwash. Why should you sacrifice fresh breath when your mood elevator doesn't go all the way to the top? Moodamint is now available in peppermint, spearmint, and new root and toot and wellbutrin. Moodamint. You don't have to smell like a camel to feel good. Moodamint. Now... We always like to welcome our guests, no matter what emotional state they're in. Here are emotional shout-outs. If after watching the Tony Awards, you tried to do a backflip into a shower caddy, welcome. If your summer vacation plans include staring at a wall, welcome. If you're afraid of taking risks and don't want to admit it because it's too risky, welcome. If a squirrel scampers by you in the park and mouths the words, one of us is nuts and it's not me, welcome. If your wife asks you to pass the salt and you respond by saying, it's just constant demands, I can't take it anymore, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Nefertiti of Neuroplasticity the Aphrodite of the amygdala, and the Luella Parsons of the limbic system, Jennifer Filari. Jennifer, we're talking about grief. Our guest who is coming up, we're going to have a conversation with Liz Glazer about uh, grief and comedy, uh, surprisingly, I guess. Can you talk about a little bit about grief and some of the things that happen in the brain when we have grief? And, and and how to approach these these waves that come. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, grief is probably one, no, I would say it's the most intense emotion. It is, you feel it through every cell in your body. It's a very intense feeling. Okay, so grief really is the most intense emotion. I don't think there is an emotion that you feel more in your body right through your bones than grief. And grief, um, you kind of have to think of it as love inside out because you really can't experience grief without having experienced love first. And so there's this really powerful duality with all emotions, but especially, especially grief. Um, and it comes in waves. It's impossible for the body to feel that intense amount of grief for too long. 
So the body will kind of shut down and take over and your, your, your moods will shift or you ever notice at a funeral or a Shiva, like everyone's sad. And, and then all of a sudden everyone's laughing and talking about something delightful and something cute. And then you're sad again. It just, there's this sort of undulating um, experience with, with really intense emotions. Um, You know, the body's pretty wise and it's pretty amazing and it will kind of help you deal with it as best you can, even though it is an incredibly powerful, powerful emotion. Well, I think the time, you know, for to me, and it's odd to say this because grief has a negative, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tragic thing. It feels like a tragedy. Um, and, and that's what surrounds, uh, grief, but grief and birth are the two times when you're most alive. When you have a child, that's one of them. And then when you lose a parent or lose a a kid, God forbid, or lose, you know, a loved one, that's the other time. And so it's because you can't, it's, it's, it's emotion without resistance. And, and that's the gift of grief is that it's emotion without resistance and it's a mixture of emotions. That's the other thing. That's, you know, when in my life, when I felt fully alive, it's not necessarily around great things or great celebrations or great circumstances. It's just fully alive uh, around, you know, where you have a mix, you have mixed emotions all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And I think in order to feel grief, that has to be true, right? You, 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 you can only grieve when you have felt everything about that person or that animal or that whatever it is that you're grieving. Um, it's really, really a, a complicated emotion, but you can't feel it with certainly not without the love part. And you're right. It does make you feel incredibly alive in a very complex way. What's the message? What's the message that you can give yourself if there are people listening who, you know, are experiencing some kind of grief or loss or, you know, any any kind of um, grief-like situation? What do you tell yourself? Uh, You have to feel grief deeply. You can't go around it, over it, or under it. You have to go through it. There are no shortcuts. You really have to lean into it and let it move through your entire body for as long as it needs to. Um, And when you can really lean in and you can honor that feeling and you can honor the depth of that feeling, that's when it starts to release. That's when it starts to lighten over to end time. That really the only, the only thing you can do is wait. Time is the only thing that can heal when there's grief. The only thing. Now, you know, uh, there's there's deep grief, you know, there's all kinds of levels of grieving. Like you could be, look, uh, I could graduate high school and I'm grieving over the loss of my high school years. Mm-hmm. Or I could be, you know, I could be a little kid and I could be leaving my parents and going into preschool. Yeah. Um, Are these like... Like what do parents do? Opportunities to uh, to kind of um, sort of say whatever you're feeling, you feel it. It's not going to hurt you. You know, it's it's going to be okay, and it is okay uh, to have this whatever this is. So, are you asking like a parent who's lost a child, or a parent who's watching their child grieve over something? Well, yeah, let's do both. Well, I think, you know, one of the greatest gifts you can give your child is the ability to feel their feelings fully, right? So whether they're grieving because they've lost a pet or a best friend has moved away or they lost a grandparent or God forbid, a parent or a sibling, allowing them to feel the depth of those feelings. And we want to protect our child from that. We want to make it better. We want to smooth it over. We want to um, do anything we can to ease it. But honestly, that only prolongs it kids really do need to learn how to how to actually feel through it and kids are such that they're really quite resilient and they're pretty bouncy and they sort of listen to that undulating wave that we talked about at the beginning um they're pretty good at feeling their feelings and then a few minutes later feeling okay and then feeling sad again and you got to kind of ride that wave with them 
Um, you know, for a parent who's lost a child, there's no greater loss on the planet. I mean, it's, it's inexplicable. And that's why I said time, like, I mean, it helps to have people love you and people remember your child and support you and help you. But at the end of the day, you really just have to lean into that feeling um, and let it kind of do its thing. You have to just sit in that grief and let it play its run its course. Time is the greatest healer and really the only healer in that situation. And you say to yourself, I'm, I'm grieving. This is the feeling. I love this person. I love this, this thing. You know, my, my dog passed and I swear to God, I've never felt grief like that before. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was, wow. Yeah. And it's, you can't really, but I'm sure you felt the waves that it came in, but it just, it absolutely goes to the deepest core of who, who you are and, and, and it, it places you didn't even think existed in your soul. Right. Yeah. Well, a dog, you know, I mean, I'm not comparing, you know, a life of a person to a dog, but, but in a way, you know, because a dog is such an, I mean, we're all innocent beings, but a dog displays it in a different way than humans do because it's just, it's, it's just that. Pure, right? It's so pure. It's just a being. It's a, just a loving being, and there's no other conflicts that go on. It's just it's that. It's unconditional love, and it's usually so, so pure and innocent, that love. Yeah. So that was like, I was kind of thrown by that. And I actually went to a pet support group online of like people who lost pets, and it was very helpful. Yeah. And And I got this workbook which was like a step-by-step grief book, workbook that you could do, you know, uh, and it was, that was helpful too. That's great. Uh, we um, don't do grief, right? We just, and depending on your culture, you know, I, I don't know that we always allow, especially children to feel the depth of, of what they're feeling to really talk about it and be in it and, you know, go to the funeral. And it's actually, we try to protect our kids sometimes, but um, it is so important. It's a part of life death, right. And being able to see it as, as a normal part of having lived and being alive and loving, I think is a really important thing to be able to share with your children. Well, there's also, there's so much running and so much resistance and, uh, chasing away sadness mm-hmm. like there's something bad about like sad is sad is bad, sad is um, bad. yeah that's the message uh get away from it mm-hmm. there's something wrong mm-hmm. so you did something wrong or you're you're not okay or what something and um it's just like like look the movie inside out uh, joy has to take the um uh, the, the journey with sadness and and that's that's the journey in that movie and and um you know and pete doctor the writer he had joy and fear originally and it didn't work as a movie mm, interesting and then he figured out he said i'm gonna lose my job and if i don't uh, you know i really could lose my job and then i'd miss all these people who i work with so he's walking around the campus at Pixar, and then he realizes, oh, sadness actually brings you, actually connects you. So I'll make the journey, joy and sadness, and that's the movie. Absolutely. Because you can't have one without the other. Yeah. yeah. And they, they work together, and they could work together. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, so that's a little bit about, you know, um, uh, because our, you know, our guest today, Liz Glazer, we're going to talk to her about about grief. And really, you know, she's a comedian, so comedy and grief. You don't think that those two are supposed to next necessarily go together? But look, some of the craziest times in my life, you know, life and death situations where, you know, then you're talking about Chinese food. It's very strange how yeah. what the mixture of of crap that's in there of stuff that goes on undulating, right? Like your body just can only handle that intensity for so long. And then you just have to talk about normal stuff or, 
which are, you know, just funny things or simple things. And then you go back, you plunge back into the depth again, and then you talk about lighter things and you just kind of move through these oscillating waves. I had a friend who unfortunately passed uh, a long, a while ago, and she was a very talented comedian. Judy, uh, Judy Toll was her name. She was brilliant. And, um, you know, Judy had so many friends. And so when she was dying in the hospital, uh, there was another room that was near her hospital room and there didn't happen to be anybody in there. And so all of her friends from the groundlings, from the biggest comedians in the world, from all these people came in and stayed in that room. And then one by one, they go in and visit her uh, to say goodbye. And then they come back into the room and then we would laugh our heads off. We just had laughter, remembering things, and then they go in and visit her and then they come out and they would laugh our heads off. Yeah. And and this kind of stuff, there's just nothing, you know, the, the closeness and the, the love that goes with it. Sure. Um that's it's good. it that's good. kind of yeah. So yeah. I love that. I love that. And laughter really honors the person. Like most mm. people, if you think about it, you really want people to remember you with joy, with warmth, with laughter, not with tears, right? Yeah, yeah. There's great, there's great healing through through laughter. You can't tell by the tone of my voice now, but there is great healing. Trust me. Let's get to our guest. Uh, as I said, very funny comedian, but a former law professor. It's rare. I think it's rare. And married to a rabbi. And as I said, her comedy album, you can see her everywhere. She's going to be out here in San Diego. We're going to find out about that coming up this uh, this summer. And her comedy album is called A Very Particular Experience. Please welcome Liz Glazer. Liz. Hi, Ed. Oh, what? thank you. Yeah, I I was trying to as you were talking, whether it's rare about being a former law professor. I don't, there are a lot of lawyers turned comedians, which I imagine, you know, yeah. um, but I don't know. I don't know many academics turn comedians. Um, and I mean, not that it matters, but just like, because, you know, you were saying it's rare and I, I don't know, whatever. I was just thinking about it. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think that one of the things, like in terms of law to comedy, maybe that's less rare because, you know, there's sort of a getting up and speaking and maybe even like the kind of joke writing mathematics are not that dissimilar from like argumentation and like figuring out like, here's here are my reasons that I believe this thing. And, you know, we're writing punchlines instead of, landing a point, right? You're landing a joke. But um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know any, I think there's maybe like one other law professor or two who used to do comedy that I came across in teaching. Um, Adam Kolber is one. And then now I can't remember the other person, but somebody who I know from Northwestern Law School um, whose name escapes me right now, but very funny, very smart guy. And I think that, you know, the the security of the job is one of the things that it's like hard to leave. Yeah, I would imagine it would be hard to leave because, yeah. you know, it, you go from one that's very secure to complete and total utter insecurity. And, right, right. you know, um, y- you know, kind of Mrs. Maisel-ish in a way. Uh, sure. Although, uh, that I don't like to use Without that. the parents' mm. apartment. But yeah. I, well, that's totally. the thing about Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> I, uh, Kevin Pollock right. is a friend of mine and we talk about it all oh, the time. But that's name the, uh, he's well, he is a very talented guy. But that's yeah. But Mrs. Maisel, uh, Mazel uh-huh. on the Maisel. And but yeah. but but listen, he, here's the thing. I mm. have been told. um because I don't get the New York, I haven't, I don't have the New York Times, but I wanted to read this yeah, article about you. I've heard that. And it about was about, you. it was about yeah. grief and comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what he, happened? Mm-hmm. Well, a few things happened. So notably for the purpose of the, the grief article and the kind of like inciting incident, if you will, to my recent debut comedy album, my wife and I experienced the stillbirth of our first daughter, Leo Pearl of Blessed Memory. And on the one year anniversary of the day of the stillbirth, I recorded this album. 
um, that is a very particular experience that was written about in the New York Times that once you get a subscription, you can read about. Mm. Um, and it is a comedy album. And also it's about stillbirth and about grief. And I say those as two distinct things, grief and stillbirth, not because they don't coincide on the album and otherwise they do. But also one of the things that I found to be um, interesting about the grief that attended stillbirth, at least for me, is how not only sad, but confusing it is, which is to say that, like, for example, I lost my father. My father died during the pandemic, but not of COVID, which is the no homo of dying during the pandemic. That is a joke. Um, But he died. He died of heart disease. And that's very sad. And when I think about his death, I think of it as a personal tragedy. Of course, my father died. Um, But when I thought of the ways that I missed him, I could think of examples of stories of him alive, etc. And one of the things that, that doesn't happen when somebody experiences stillbirth and maybe miscarriage also, and, you know, pregnancy loss is that there is a grief, but it's not attached to memories of the person because the person, the baby never lived, but they did exist. You know, I mean, in, in our case, like, and I talk about this on the album, there's practices in medicine now, at least at the hospital that we were at. And I think that it's like pretty, you know, widespread about connecting the parents connecting to the body, the physical body of the stillborn baby. And so you do grieve both in the hospital physically, but also, you know, for obvious reasons, like outside, and it's a process just like any grief process is, but it's almost this like abstract grief, right? Because Mm. you, you didn't know this person. And so you know, when my dad died, I had jokes and stories about it, but I was sort of afraid to bring them to stage because it was the first time that I was really ever doing comedy about something sad. Um, and there's nothing like the stillbirth of your daughter to make your dead dad jokes suddenly become your lighter material. Because, That's, oh boy, wow. right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so as I was putting together, I knew I wanted to record on the one year anniversary. And I guess the reason for that is because I knew the one year anniversary was going to happen. And I wanted to commemorate Leo's memory and honor her with something creative and positive that could bring our friends and family together. And I was going to record an album when my wife was pregnant about the prospect of becoming a parent. And then I didn't do that because of what happened. Um, But as I was processing the grief and doing comedy, I started to recognize and have this hour come together that, you know, I trusted myself as a voice that wouldn't be like, like, I didn't want to do an album that would be the word that's coming to me is distasteful, even though I don't love that word, because I don't mean to you know, I'm not trying to like judge comedy, but like, I mean by that, that I knew if I was going to do an hour about grief and stillbirth about people I loved, and also a cat, our cat Mona died, and I talk about it on the album as well. Mm. Um, And again, these are uh, points of contrast. It's not for the purpose of like, here are all these tragedies that happened to me. It's because I wanted to say something interesting and insightful, hopefully, it felt that way to me about grief and loss. And also these losses happen. So my effort in putting together the material was, of course, like writing out the jokes and punchlines and stories, et cetera, but also constructing it in such a way like an argument, you know, or, or like, like an essay of some kind about, you know, saying something about loss and basically saying something about love, um, well, I you know, first of all, I number one, I'm sorry for your loss. That is Thank an you. awful thing. That's awful. Sure. Yes. Uh, and Thank I'm you. really sorry to, that you went through that. Okay. Thank you, Ed. That's number one. 
Number two, Jackie Gleason said, and I'm going to go, you know, you don't hear Jackie Gleason uh, that much. Uh, uh, you know, shout out to Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason sure. said funny had better be sad somewhere. Comedy without mm. pathos is like a meal without bread. Mm-hmm. Right. And, right. you know, today everything you got to have gluten free. So you don't really sure. want the bread. But mm-hmm. I will just say that is the sweet spot in mm-hmm. a weird way. Of mm-hmm. the fullness of emotion and the fullness of life, the time when you're, it's it's it's. I don't mean it in a flip way, but in my own yeah. life, the times when I felt most alive is at my mm-hmm. daughter's birth and my mother's death. Mm-hmm. I get it. I really do. That's when you're alive, um, and the reason yeah. why is because you're feeling emotions without resistance. Hmm. That's a really. I'm gonna metabolize that for now and later. Yeah. You're not resisting because because yeah. many, many times in life mm-hmm. or all this like mental health work I've done and all this yeah. these shows that I've done that unite, uh, you know, comedy, mental health is like, mm-hmm. you know, what makes people tired is that they're holding on to their feelings. Yeah. That's why you're tired. You're not tired right. because, you know, of MSNBC. You're tired because mm-hmm. you're holding on to your feelings. Yeah, so, I you know. I relate to that. That's no, thank you for saying that. Um, I mean, I think about that when I think about me as a lawyer um, and me even as a law professor, which I think was a little bit closer to what I wanted to be doing. But in both instances, and I talk freely about this, despite the fact that I do a lot of shows at law schools and law firms, because I didn't leave law because I hated it. I didn't hate it. It was like, and I also, you know, like I wasn't fired. I wasn't bad at it. Like I was good and and it was going well, but I think, and it it took for me doing comedy and not just the doing comedy in terms of like, oh, hey, I can get a laugh. Isn't that cool? But for me, it was the, oh, hey, all I really need to start from is what's happening to me and just being honest about it. And I Mm. don't have to fit into a what does the client want in the practice of law or what is this class, what's going to be on the bar exam, whatever the parameters would be for a class. And I think as a result of those constraints that are reasonable for each of those worlds, the practice of law and for legal academia, there was something about it that I think I was holding on to feelings and I think I was more tired as a result. And that's an interesting way to think about it. I haven't before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just really, you know, it's stored like all these things, the the thoughts and feelings, they get stored and they're just here to send information. They're sending you information. They don't mean anything. They don't mean any Mm -hmm. harm. They're here to protect you. They're here to keep you safe. Your brain thinks Mm -hmm. you're in danger uh, Mm -hmm. 800 times a day because that's its job. And it's not, you're not in danger, but if you don't say that back to yourself, mm-hmm. then you get yeah. anxiety and panic attacks and, mm-hmm. and you get, you get, uh, you know, your life is an emotional roller coaster. It's just based mm-hmm. on what you're feeling at any given time. Um, mm-hmm. so that's easy for me to say. It's been hard mm-hmm. to, to sort of make choices about it and be conscious of it in my, every, sure. in my life. It's an mm-hmm. intellectual thing that I'm saying, but right, um, right. I, I will, you know, just say this. So when grief comes on, what what happens is you can't resist it. Is it, there's yeah. no there's no editing. Mm-hmm. It's just I feel like shit and I'm sad and I'm crazy and I feel all these all these things and yeah. it's a wave and I just can't stop the wave. Um, yeah. So so I have to deal with that because it's mm-hmm. present and so you really it's kind of a i'm i'm trying to separate it from the incidents because the incidents are are awful but mm-hmm. the, uh, but the experience of grief is actually a great teacher no i you know i agree with you yeah and i think that you know an awareness of that even though those are your words and so i don't know that i had an awareness exactly the way that you're describing it but i really do resonate with it um in terms of that moment where grief hits and you know you know that somebody has died everything stops and i think that that everything stops moment is perhaps the moment that you're describing where resistance is down 
whatever emotion is going to pop up, pops up. Right. And mm -hmm. so when did you know that you could, you're going to like, this happens a year. Yeah. You have this, this experience of the, the stillbirth with your mm -hmm. wife with, and you mm -hmm. go through it and you mm -hmm. experience it. And then when did you know, like, how did you know I can write comedy about this? Well, um, it's a good question. You know, my wife, I think it was the day that the album was released, went back in her phone and found this video that she took of me in the hospital on the day of the stillbirth. And she was like, watch this, because in this, you actually outline what would become the the hour and the album. Mm. And I think, you know, so in that video, I posted it to my Instagram, like around the time the album was released, um, a clip from, from that video. But it was basically just like, I knew that I had to. You know, I think it's just as simple as like, I made the choice 10 years ago to do comedy. And I made that because I felt then and continue to now that expressing myself as a comedian, which is to say on a stage with the expectation of people in the audience laughing every, you know, however many seconds or minutes, et cetera. Um, but I made the choice then that that was an authentic mode of expression for me. And then this happened and I knew that I had to talk about it because talking about it is really the decision that I made when I made the choice to become a comedian. And knowing that I would find humor in it was something that was more of a goal that day. But I, I figured that I would. Like the other thing is that funny stuff started happening in the hospital kind of right away. And my wife and I were really, of course, like overcome with shock and grief and horror at what happened. But also we, not because I'm a comedian, but just because this is the way that I am and the way that my wife is, we found the ability to laugh. Um, I mean, it was, you know, I, I have this on the album, but like the guy who came to unclog the toilet and says, congratulations on his way out. And this wasn't on the album, but I'm actually, I'm also making a documentary about the making of the album. And in connection with that, I have a set taped that I performed three weeks after the stillbirth of jokes that I had written in the hospital in a file entitled way too soon. And one of those jokes was, that there was this nurse at the hospital after our daughter was, was born, not alive, um, who kept saying, she was like, oh, she's perfect. Like, she's so perfect. And it was like the level that she was saying that our daughter was perfect was like, almost like, should we tell her? Like, uh, does she not know? like, as I was like, don't he ask doesn't this. know, yeah. right? Like, don't ask this nurse if your butt looks fat in a pair of jeans, because she's not going to tell oh. you that your butt is dead. Oh. And, you know, just like moments like that, like not, not where they were laugh out loud at the time, but where they were moments <laughs> for my wife and I to basically look at each other from across a hospital room and be like, you're hearing the same thing I'm hearing, Right. And really, that is a, a a current and a theme that runs through the album, because I talk about, you know, the first moment that my mother and my brother and I laughed after my dad died. Um, I won't spoil it, but it's a story involving some spoiled locks. And, oh, yeah. you know, just like the idea that like, there are moments that you feel like nothing is ever going to be funny again. And that was exactly the kind of moment that I wanted to seize in recording this, because that was a scary moment for me because, and, and it's all separate from being a comedian. It has nothing to do with the fact that I was or wasn't a comedian for, for example, it was just the fact that like, for me, laughing is living. And so if I'm going to be living, I need to be laughing and having 
a stillbirth, I think, was like an, a, a really, I mean, a horribly awe-inspiringly sad moment, obviously. And it was a moment that caused me to question whether I would ever laugh again. Did you say, did you, do you say this? Do you ever say laughing is living? Um, I don't know. No, I, I don't think know you need to say that. And I think mm-hmm. that's a chapter of something or a, a yeah. heading for something. Laughing is living yeah. is a really no, that's powerful a good idea. thing. It's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Laughing is yeah. living. I, I, I will say that, that, that this mix, mixed emotions is mm. really the, like, that's living. Like, yeah. comfortable, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one emotion. Yeah. There, you're meant to have more than one at the same time sure. sometimes right. and people right. don't really allow it. It's like either I'm this or I'm that. And, well, yeah. And you know, I think an interesting thing on that is like, you know, a lot of people have asked or like, and you know, like I get some comments online, especially, I mean, you do an album about stillbirth. You're going to get some of these comments of like, you know, you can't joke about this. There's some things you shouldn't joke about. I think it's relevant to what you just said about life being a mix of emotions, because I really, I really think that that's not right. I don't think that there's any topic that you shouldn't or that anybody can't joke about because of the idea of, of there are, you know, everything is this multitude of emotions. And I think like, you know, not allowing grieving people the opportunity to find humor because like either grieving or non-grieving people are like, well, this is something that shouldn't be joked about. I think you're stopping a healing process, you know? And I think, I just think it's like really a strange idea because it, it, I think, you know, whenever I hear those comments of like, well, this is something you shouldn't joke about. It's like, okay, do you think that that stance helps because the way that it sounds like you're pitching it is as though you're morally more correct for having this this opinion about certain topics being outside the scope of joking but joking isn't inherently bad mean insulting laughter can connect and the idea of like being able to find humor in a way that connects I think is a beautiful thing. It's not making little of, you know, a moment, right? It's not saying that this isn't sad just because you're laughing. Well, it's really making the most of it because the most it's making them, you're making the most of things when you, when you're, when you have that freedom to have a range of emotions. Mm -hmm. If you just think of the experience of watching something, you're mm-hmm. watching a play, you're watching a show, you're watching something, and you're moved by it. Why are you moved yeah. by it? Because you feel you're moved by different emotions. There, There's yeah. different things that are happening in a good comedy, right. you know, in a dark comedy. Everybody loves dark comedy now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like the yeah. way of the world. There's no out-and-out comedy anymore. There's just dark comedy, and that's great. But uh, Yeah, and but- arguably there always was. Yeah, but the mix, the mix of the of mm-hmm. the stuff, you know, is just yeah. like, like you know, here's everybody loves Raymond, and mm-hmm. you have the finale, you have everybody loves, loves Raymond, and they're all arguing and arguing and arguing, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden Ray goes in for a, an appendectomy or something or laryngitis, mm-hmm. and there's a problem. Yeah, and yeah. then all of those comedic actors, all those people who are so funny and crazy. Mm-hmm. They all start to panic. Mm-hmm. And that's underneath all that stuff. And that's sure. when you feel the most. You know, yeah. shivas, the ritual of a, of a shiva, I don't know if mm-hmm. it's the same with a wake or other, you know, funeral rituals, but mm-hmm. shiva is the healthiest thing in the world. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. find anything. You're telling stories and having yeah. food and feeding yourself and each other. Right. And mm-hmm. you're being fed with stories. And it's yeah. like, man, that's yeah. like the best, you know, Mr. Saturday Night. I mean, listen, I'm doing references that like nobody is going to mm-hmm. figure out. But Mr. Saturday Night, a movie mm-hmm. with Billy Crystal, mm-hmm. there's a very funny moment when he says, buddy, I have the two brothers, two older brothers. I have some bad mm-hmm. news. Ma died again. 
That was the quote. That was the line he had. What? Ma mm-hmm. died again? Like, right, this is the right. worst news you can imagine. It happened yeah. again? Right. Um, I love Hilarious. that. Yeah. I love that. And and that's really like I remember, look, somebody in my family, we've had this strange confluence of of mixed emotions and events. Somebody tried to commit mm-hmm. suicide and had to take him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And on the way to the hospital, we talked about where who has the best Chinese food. Of course. And yeah. where are we where are we gonna eat? Yeah. But you're yeah. on the way to the hospital with Which somebody a, who took a an life overdose. Or death matter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. You know, my mother, I used to say, my mother, you know, we were constantly in the cemetery and mm-hmm. the body's being lowered into the ground. And my mom mm-hmm. would turn to me and she'd say, I just hope I have enough food back at the house. Right. Who, yeah. who knew your aunt was so popular? Everyone came. Everyone. Tell you what, if I don't yeah, have yeah. enough food back there, they can dig a hole right next to her and throw me in. Right. It, all right. How right. do you like that? I mean, Hilarious. this is constant. Yeah. And so, but now I'm going to say that we have also birth. Mm -hmm. So you have a baby, right? You, we go on from the still uh, Mm -hmm. resters, rester soul. And now we go to what, what, what else happens now? So, um, so the album came out May 12th and then on May 25th, um, we had, uh, our daughter, um, Eloise Francis, who was born. And so she now is a little over two weeks old. And, you know, I mean, she's amazing. <laughs> and it's, I, I, I mean, I'm truly overjoyed um, at the birth. And, you know, birth is also one of those moments when time stops and you get to experience joy without resistance, like you said. And, um, it's, uh, it's amazing and it has been amazing. And I'm also happy to have released the album, recorded the album, done all of that stuff before we had another baby. Because one of the things that I noticed about stories relating to stillbirth is that artists, to the extent that they you know, that I was able to read them. And I think that's a pretty limited extent. Um, but there was this narrative like, okay, well, this happened, but we had another baby. So we're fine, right, is the implication. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, obviously, that's not how like people work, right? This person is not a replacement for that person. That's, that's not that way. And I think because we never knew the baby in a pregnancy loss, sometimes I think it's tempting to have that narrative. I also have had private messages of people who had stillbirths who listened to my comedy and were like, listen, I, you know, I disagree with the way that you're processing it. And I was perfectly fine not talking about it for 10 years. And I'm like, were you though? You know, is, is really what I thought because here you are writing me. Um, and I guess I was bitter about those messages or else I wouldn't be bringing them up now. But like, mm. you know, I, I felt strongly that I wanted to honor our daughter who was born not alive and her memory as a chapter and a moment unto itself and unto herself before like papering over that experience with the experience of the joy of a newborn baby. And so, you know, I don't think that grief is ever over or that I think it's a myth to think that like, oh, I fully process anything. You know, everything is ongoing and and everything is waves. I believe that. And well, also, yeah. yeah. Well, feelings yeah. are waves. Feeling, right. feeling right. any feeling, it can be a wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was happy, I guess. Happy is maybe, you know, not exactly the right word, but I felt artistically and intellectually satisfied that I did the work that I did, and meaning like put out the work that I put out um, with the album prior to Eloise's birth. Hmm. Well, now tell us about... T- tell us what it's like to be married to a rabbi, because 
That is yeah. an experience that not everybody it has. Is. I have friends who are rabbis. I do okay. like the, the woman who rab- married us. My wife and mm-hmm. I are um, is an amazing rabbi, mm-hmm. and and was you know um, one of the first uh, uh, conservative female rabbis oh, in the whole country. But like, cool. but like, so what? So what is this? What is this experience of being married to a rabbi? I mean, you know, there's a few quick answers I can give that are, you know, kind of a joke. Like, oh, I'm married to a woman rabbi. What's that like? It means I braid her long beard every night before bed. Um, no, it's it's only a mustache. She's reform. What's being married to a rabbi like? It means we walk into a bar and everybody says, could you finish the joke? Um, and yeah. what's it like being married to a rabbi? Well, I feel like I'm in a polyamorous relationship with an entire congregation. And, you know, there's there's truth to all that stuff, I guess. But like, yeah. really. I mean, I, I love my wife. I can only speak to what it's like being married to my wife, which I honestly feel so lucky every single day. And for me, that translates into like, oh my God, what God forbid is going to happen because how could it be this good? Which I know is like a coping mechanism because I couldn't possibly take in enough, you know, as much joy as I feel to have found her. Um, as I grew up, I mean, I went to Orthodox Jewish day school being told that being gay was bad. And so then when I was in my 20s and dating like all the wrong people, just like anybody does, gay, straight or anything in between, you know, I thought, okay, so this is my lot in life is I'm going to be dating people who are not right for me. And this is like my punishment for being gay. And then I met Karen, who's like the best person in the world. And I'm like, how the hell do I deserve this? Um And by that, I mean, you know, uh, she's an an amazingly thoughtful person who considers, you know, the rights of others and feelings of others and is helping people all day. I mean, this is, you know, the life of a rabbi is like she's there for all of these milestone moments. It's a really beautiful thing. And not even, you know, getting to the fact that this is a person who's also a thinker and a writer and a performer. And so it's not like dating another comic or being married to another comic, which I feel like would be a nightmare. Um, But it's like, you know, she loves comedy. I love a sermon. I mean, honestly, a sermon is like my favorite genre. Um, And so it's a lot of like intense conversations, which I think both of us are like, that's what we want out of life is having intense conversations about the meaning of it. And that's the kind of thing that we engage, you know, in our regular conversation. And um, she's amazing, you know? So I can tell you that's what it's like being married to my my rabbi. And the other thing is, you know, I grew up, I, t- I mean, I said already, I went to Orthodox Jewish day school. And also my parents were like a lot less, religious and observant than where I went to school. Turns out the reason that I went to Orthodox Jewish day school, I knew growing up that it was because four out of four of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, which is a perfect score in Judaism. But because of that, um, my parents knew that they wanted to send me and my brother to Jewish day school. Okay. But I, I learned later that the reason they sent me to an Orthodox one was because the conservative one was under construction. And like, I guess on the tour, you know, they were like having class class in a hallway and there was like leaks all over the building. And so my mom was like, I can't send you here. So she sent me to the Orthodox school. Meanwhile, we were an Orthodox. And so like, you know, we're learning in school Monday through Friday, everything that we're doing wrong at, at home on nights and weekends, basically. And so, you know, yeah. we would learn in school, oh, you're not supposed to go out on Shabbos. You're not supposed to have, have, you know, pig or eat meat and milk. Meanwhile, we're driving to the pizza place to get pepperoni pizza on Friday night and bringing it home and eating with like, you know, separate silverware that we got for like non-kosher food. I feel like the reason that my mom is into being kosher is because she loves China. Like she loves dishes. And so <laughs> if you're kosher, you have the opportunity to have more dishes. But in any event, Because I went to Orthodox school and because we were less religious at home, when it was time to have a bat mitzvah, 
I don't know if you know anything about Orthodox Judaism, bat mitzvah. You don't do. you don't do much for a bat mitzvah in Orthodox Judaism, right? Because you know, I mean, now there's like like rabbah is is a term, and there's an Orthodox rabbinate for women. But at the time, that was definitely not the case, or to the extent that it was the case, it was very rogue. Like we had one one girl in my high school class who put on tefillin, okay, and she davened like in a different minion, okay, yeah, and so it was not done. But anyway. So I didn't have to do really anything for my bat mitzvah, except I had to write a speech. And because my parents, you know, didn't know anything, we didn't have like Hebrew books at home. We had like a pamphlet that I don't even know why we had. My mom probably got it free from shul, you know, for one reason or another. And it had like a page and a half for each of the parshiot, the chapters of the Bible. And so basically when it was time for me to write my speech, which was the only thing I had to do, to have a bat mitzvah, I did the thing, you know, where like, you like, it's like, is it plagiarizing or isn't it? Because you're like writing a speech with a thesaurus by your side. You know what I'm talking about? Sure, sure, sure. And so I'm like, basically just writing the same thing as in this book. And mm. at my bat mitzvah, I'm looking down, I'm like, oh my God, they probably read this same page and a half of this same pamphlet they have at home. And really, you know, one of the things that my wife does as a regular part of her job is she counsels kids in her congregation who are writing their B'nai Mitzvah speeches. And so I feel like if if for heterosexuals, you know, it says like, oh, you marry your father or your mother. I feel like maybe for lesbians, you marry the rabbi that you needed at your bat mitzvah because I didn't oh. have anybody, you know. No, this is a whole generation me. that, well, first of all, I mean— I, I went to Yeshiva, mm -hmm. and I was go? I went to Maimonides in Brookline. Okay. Oh, oh, sure, of course. Okay, and the yeah. reason why I went there is because there was rioting in the Boston Public Schools, oh. and so they said you better get him out of here. So they sent me to Yeshiva. Um, you know, five periods of Hebrew, five periods of English, five periods of right. anguish sure. is what we had. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We and 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 we did and. And so, uh, you know, I had that experience, but mm -hmm. I built a sukkah in my parents' bed. Mm. I did all kinds of like weird Kosher stuff. Kosher even. Yeah. And when yeah. I said, but it was half-assed, just like what you're saying with, sure. with your family. Sure. My parents were Orthodox when they okay. went, but they uh -huh. didn't go a lot. So okay. they were brought up. And then when they went, they, they were Orthodox. But when I came home and I said, I really don't think we can have McDonald's anymore. Right, right. They got me the hell out of there. Is what oh, they did. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they got me the hell out of there. But, but you okay. know, there was a beauty of of uh, you know the spirituality uh, mm -hmm. was amazing in the school. Yeah. But also, uh, it was separatism. You know, it was it was mm -hmm. there are other people in the world, but they don't matter as much. Was really the sure. message. And so yeah, I think there is some of that. Yeah. So there's some of that, but then the rituals like the Kabbalah that everybody wants to study now. You weren't allowed to look at the book of mysticism. You weren't right, allowed to look at that. So you yeah. were 41. And so yeah. so there's a lot of, you know, now the B'nai mitzvahs and the bat mitzvahs. I mean, my bar mitzvah speech was written for me by the rabbi of New England, Rabbi Soloveitchik, mm -hmm. and he wrote the oh, speech. Wow. And so the speech was had something uh -huh. about the portion that I was reading, the Torah portion, and it had the okay. lines, he was able to succumb to the vicissitudes of fate. I was 13 okay. and yeah. the Torah jiggled with laughter. The Torah was right. laughing and my right. friends who were not Jewish, who came from South Boston, they had uh -huh. the yarmulke doesn't sit down on their head. So it looks like a yeah. miter, looks like a Pope's head. Right. And the uh -huh. rabbi says, I'd like to call you up to the Torah. What tribe are you from? And okay. they said, Rabbi, we're from South Boston. That's yeah. the tribe. We're from Southie. Uh -huh. And, yeah. um, and so it was a funny, it was a funny day, but I guess what I'm saying is there's a tremendous, mm. you know, you could have an amazing, uh, you know, spiritual life and spiritual opportunity and that these mm -hmm. kids have it today. The bar mitzvah, you know, it, it was like a hazing then, mm -hmm. but it could mm -hmm. be a very meaningful thing and it could be an amazing communal event. If mm -hmm. if it had meaning to you and if you were allowed to explore it and experience it mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. kids are, you know, today, the, when we were bar mitzvah, there were themes and the theme mm -hmm. was like Star Wars was the theme. 
So it was like mm-hmm. happy, happy bar mitzvah, Kevin. May the may the force be with you. May the Torah be with you. It was like you know that's not a. I mean, what is that? Right. Was, My was, theme was tennis. Tennis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So every every table was like a different um, tournament, <laughs> and there was like the centerpieces were on like fake grass and two tennis rackets. And I mean, my mom made the centerpieces. I'm just remembering now, you Uh, know, that it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. They do it out of love. Uh, We couldn't have any of that because my uncle had just died wherever there's joint celebration, death and pain right around the corner. Everybody's doing a twist of mourning. They're all wearing black ribbons. But they're oh, wow. doing At like the a silent mitzvah. black li- black ribbon twist. I used to call it wow. the black ribbon twist. Okay. But it uh-huh. was, uh, you know, it was it was odd. But but the themes are amazing, and uh, yes. you know, it's there anyway. The, the, we we're going to talk a lot about this, but but the thing that to bring it back around is really, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's mixed. It's yeah. a lot of mixing and a lot of experiences where that could be celebrated if they're mm-hmm. not, you know, if they're not uh, suppressed, if you mm-hmm. celebrate them and you honor all these different things, there's a great mm-hmm. opportunity to be alive and to be fully alive. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm glad that I could, br- I could bring it not to a, you know, the thing about this show that's so funny is I'm a comedian and the more I talk about mental health, the more mm-hmm. I've gone away from comedy, but really mm-hmm. it's supposed to be comedic. It's like you, you are comedic mm-hmm. with it. And the best gift that you can give somebody is, you know, to laugh at all these crap that we do to ourselves and, and yeah, then, and then sure. to teach something different and then to show them mm-hmm. something else that you can do. Right. So you're right. doing the thing that you did with your life and having a, a, a stillborn a baby and and then going on to, you know, look at the other sides, of, you know, look at the comedy and mm-hmm. bring comedy within that mm-hmm. is spectacular. That's really oh, thanks, a that. gift. That's the gift. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely felt like I was living fully presently in the moment of my life that was happening at that time. And for that, I am very thankful uh to you know to to be at a place in my life where i trust that that is something that i can do because that was not always the case well next time you come on mm. and you will come on yeah. again next time oh, you yeah. come on tell them what tell them well first of all we're going to talk about we're going to talk more about the law we're going to mm-hmm. talk about you know the laws of comedy and we're going to mm-hmm. talk about we're going to talk about the best and most authentic law uh, performances in history, and we'll talk mm-hmm. about all these kinds of things. But first, yeah. tell them. But before we before we say goodbye, tell them where they find out more about you and where they find find everything. Oh yeah, I mean the best place is my website, um, which I should note. Sometimes I'm not good at doing all the shows on my website, so like the dates, I I don't even know what's happening there. I'm trying to figure it out, but you can write to me at my website, which is Dear Liz Glazer, like you're writing me a letter, D-E-A-R-L-I-Z-G-L-A-Z-E-R.com. And on Instagram and TikTok and um, Facebook, I'm at Liz Glazer. And Twitter, my Twitter got hacked, and so that's not me anyway. Um, but I didn't really do much with Twitter anyway. So that's okay. that's how to find me. Okay, so you're going to come back. You're yes. fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. And you are. Oh, uh, well, you know. Well, then, no, but really, very interesting and really funny and really insightful. And that's what it's, you know, that's the best. That's the best of all things. And I'm oh. very happy for your, your, your daughter. And I'm Thank very, you. you know, and I'm sad for the, the loss of your other daughter. Thank but you. also, um, you know, her memory lives on and... Uh, Leo is a great name for for a woman, for sure. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so okay, so you'll come back now. Uh, you know, I want to tell everybody you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, 
And you can find us at makelightmedia.com, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, one word, media.com. And you go to connectedparenting.com is a really interesting site. It's a community that Jennifer has books and media and services and support and therapy and counseling and self-parenting skills and all kinds of resilient skills. And it's like a whole world. And it's called connectedparenting.com. And that's our show. So thanks to Liz Glazer. Um, and thanks to you for listening. Look for the good. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick, and we'll see you next time.